G'day, my name's Martin Murray and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. Right, oh, g'day and welcome back to In The Paddock podcast. This week we're here again with Marty Conroy, going through episode two, season one of Clarkson's Farm. Uh, so between the last podcast and this podcast, I did check Clarkson hasn't been cancelled. Season two is still coming out on the 10th of February and they're still filming season three. But from what I read, they won't film a season four. But, you know, that's a couple of years away. So anything may happen in between now and then. And if you haven't seen it, it's a really good show. So for those that missed last week, Marty Conroy is an agronomist, also based up here in the northwest out of uh, Warrielda. And, um, yeah, we just thought we'd continue this uh, thing because it's a good excuse to watch Clarkson's Farm and he's never seen it before. Yeah, no, good to catch up again, Muzz. It's, um, it's quite interesting looking at this from a different perspective, only seeing it for the first time, but it's certainly eye-opening. Um, you can certainly highlight the differences between Australia and obviously the UK with not only their farming, but now looking at their livestock enterprise and how they try to run it. Yeah, and I should probably add, neither of us run sheep. Uh, we had them when I was young. Uh, I think we sold out of them when I was 10. I'm guessing because you're from the North Coast, you've never... Well, not really the North Coast. How would you describe where oh, you're from? Yeah, no, Northern Rivers, yeah. Yeah, Northern originally. Rivers. Yeah. Never had sheep. Not really a big sheep area. No, no. Grew up on a cattle place and I did a lot of sheep going away to boarding school. Actually oh. focused on sheep pretty well. I got my wool classing certificate and everything. So Yeah, yeah right. You ever, ever used it? Yeah, once. Once, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, you used it one more time than the old man. Yeah. And during uni, that was the way to keep beer on the table was going to the wool sheds and trying to work there in between uni, so... Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, well, you've, you've probably had more sheep experience <laughs> than me. Yeah, no, it was, no, it's a good experience. Sheep are always hard to manage and there's a lot of husbandry that goes in behind it. Um, and there's also a lot of science behind it too. They are really, really key drivers on a lot of the animal husbandry to try to drive productivity early on in the piece. A lot of the data and research that come out of the 50s and 60s was pretty pretty exceptional, the work they did there. Yeah, they're, they're pretty interesting in that I didn't realise this till I did a... Um, I went back to uni and did an animal science course after I finished uni and found out that they're, uh, like, reproductive-wise, they're actually daylight-sensitive. Yeah, like mer- merinos especially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which... I found interesting. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's no, why you it, really only have one lamb a year. Yeah, I guess Dorpers and Aussie Whites do buck that trend a little bit, going back towards that more of a meat-sheep side. Um, but yeah, Merinos, especially day-length driven, and a lot of the AI programs all have hormones and you know injections to manipulate that day-length, um, like melatonin injections to try to create that ovulation in timing. So yeah, it's certainly a very interesting little space of how the reproductive side of sheep goes, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, episode two, it, it really only covers up till joining. I don't even think they they didn't scan them in this episode. Um, as I've said before, I probably watched this season like a season a week. So, I've it all sort of blurs together for me. Um, I'm not that much of a fan, although it is a great show. do highly recommend watching it. I've just got a young person that really likes it. Um. Yeah, so, yeah, they didn't even get to scanning in this. They only joined. No, no they, they joined. Um, we'll probably take it back to the first step of why he went into the show. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea because that's a 
interesting situation itself. Yeah, so the problem he had was he had all this pasture ground that was pretty well unimproved. It wasn't cropped anyway. Um, that he had given been given subsidies by the government to keep it maintained. So mow it once a year was the conditions. Yeah, it just had to be grass. Yeah, grass and mowed and maintained. So what's a good four-legged mowing device is a sheep. Yeah, yep. weed seeker too, I get told. Yeah, four, four-legged spot sprayer. Yeah. Often. Yep. Yeah. No, it's good. Really good on double knocks if it's dry enough. They will eat flea bane, surprisingly enough. Yeah, the flea bane does come back though. It does, it does. It's often harder to kill, but yeah, it makes it look pretty. It's kind of like Gramoxone for a first pass. It's yeah, really, yeah, it's a feel good. Yeah, certainly. No, so um, I guess, yeah, moving into his sheep enterprise, he's decided to go and buy some sheep, which has been a bit of a debacle in itself. He ended up just going to the first auction he found and purchasing his whole herd, which probably not recommended. Well, he did have the NSA there to help. Yes. They are d- different NSA to the one we're all thinking of. It's the National Sheep Association, not the, um, I don't even know what the American yeah, one stands yeah, for. I don't know. It's, it's not the spies. No, no, um, But so he's purchased 78 sheep in total, which on his first assessment and actual look through the sheep, he had to cull some because they had poor udders so they wouldn't actually get the whole way through to lambing yeah three of them three of them three he had to cull and then four of them he injured moving them in the first paddock shift so I think he was down to 74 yeah they were just mild cuts I assume those ones recovered yeah but he paid 350 Australian a year for that time so they were they were 140 pounds each. Yeah, 140 pounds each, which at the time, one pound was getting you about 250 Australian. Uh, so that's like 350 bucks a year, which is phenomenal prices. Yes. Get that here, people would be cheering. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Might actually run sheep. Yeah, in the catalogue, it actually went through on the background of a lot of the sheep. Um, not so much their vaccination history or anything else like that. It was just that they were trained to electric fences, which turned out to be a rather rather large part of the animal husbandry that they were dealing with, with the stone walls. Yeah, which um, I assume you can't knock them down and replace it with, uh, you know, netting. Um, yeah. I, I'm guessing there'd be some the UK, being the UK, there'd be some heritage thing there. Yeah. You couldn't do that, so... It didn't stop the sheep from actually knocking them down as they climbed over the top of them. So. No, 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 there was a lot of that, so... Didn't really hold them, and then just super labour intensive because they were three wire hot wire fences. Yeah, they actually look quite well constructed. Like you could roll them up quite easily, like a proper cell raising system you'd find in the New England here. But yeah, yeah. still yeah. still labour intensive labor for seventy eight head. Yeah, definitely, That's, definitely. Um, well, and after his first round of culling and everything else, he decided to put on a full time shepherd. Which yeah, yeah. Which um, so. Don't actually know what she's being paid, but it was upwards of twenty thousand Australian dollars, which was more than he was going to make from the lambs. That's that's how we worked that bit out. Yeah, the only thing we probably don't factor in there is the subsidies that he was getting for maintaining that pasture land. Um, but whether that you can't factor them into the operation because you're going to get those yeah. subsidies regardless. Yeah, spend spend X amount on mowing. Twenty bucks a hectare on mowing, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's it's an exercise in love, and it didn't seem like there was a lot of that every time he moved him. Not at the start, no, no. He um invested in a drone, um, with a speaker on it which barked like a dog, 
which is quite ingenious. Actually, I've seen an ag tech startup recently, Sky Kelpie, I think it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're doing it in the north, um, doing pretty yeah. much replacing light choppers with, and you know, remote mustering with drones. Yeah, right. I have to check them out, Sky Kelpie. Yeah, I think that's what they're called, Sky Kelpie. Anyway, um, but yeah, I've personally used drones before to move cattle from hard to reach places across creeks and things like that you can't get to easily well same here and like as you know a country round here we've got a lot of cooler tie grass which is very tall grass you know gets at least a meter and a half uh hills with basalt rocks so you get these large rocks you get fallen timber um i've busted myself pretty bad on two wheelers i've rolled a quad it's it's not country i really like now just to get a horse I feel like it's just cheaper to get out of cattle than buy a horse. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, um, so anyway, I uh, yeah, I've done the same thing with my drone, and that's uh, since we've gone from traders to breeders, I don't actually have a problem with mustering. I just go in there, and they're they're pretty friendly, pretty comfortable. They all sort of just do what I want. Mm. Uh, but when you actually had to move around the mob, get around them and try and push them where you need them to go, uh, I did find a drone to be very helpful in, in those situations. Yeah, so the drone probably moved them a bit too quickly the first time Yep. in in the episode. So that's how he resulted with a couple lacerations around the legs. I don't know if they went through wire or what happened. but Probably just those walls. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hit a sharp edge going over those rock walls. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, the next issue that he suffered, which he probably wasn't suffering as severely as we do over here, but water issues, actually having enough water for stock. And also, if you ever inherit or take over a place, you buy a block, it's been pretty run down. You have no idea where the water runs underneath the ground. You have no idea how the troughs articulate. You have no idea and you're going into it pretty blind and that's how he ended up. So Yeah, except he was able to find a map from 1922 that actually laid out where all the pipes were and i mean you don't know what happens off camera but they did seem to actually work yeah. on camera um after they hooked up the a, a new pump to the original tank everything still seemed to flow yeah um whereas on my block i've got two troughs where neither myself nor the previous owner know where the pipes run to yeah, on the block I run my Gisman cattle on, we've, there's two bores, one's failed, one doesn't supply enough water to fill the tank for spraying, so the, the local, like, local farmer has to cart water to that block to spray, and there is another six other bores that are sunk around that haven't actually produced water, so it's like a little spot that doesn't quite have that luxury of water in it. Yeah, I'm relying solely on surface water at the moment, so... Doesn't produce enough water to spray. Yeah, and the quality's hard too. A lot of calcium, it's quite quite hard. You're probably better off carting in water anyway. Yeah, right. So, yeah, no, it's little little neck of the woods through here that doesn't get water. Normally, this area is quite good for water, but, yeah, it's just not through that section. Yeah, our bore's pretty good. Water quality's very good, yeah. although I think it's mainly pulling it out of the creek just via the ground, but anyway. Yeah, that normally happens. <laughs> Well, why get a diviner out when you've got a creek? You just yes. sink it next to it. You know you're going to hit water. Yeah. Go deep enough, you'll eat anything. That's it. Yep. That's how they did it in the artesian. Yep. So water issues, he solved them um, and then realised that the sheep weren't drinking a lot because 
he'd actually rigged up his electric fences through his troughs, which were all metal. He probably wasn't doing much for the fence as that all be earthed out anyway. Yeah, certainly. Which, um, yeah, pointless at both ends. Yep, but I guess you have these issues of teething problems. And... Yeah, yeah, and um, I guess when you're not from that background, you've got to work these things out for yourself. Yeah, certainly. Um, so the next stage was actually putting rams in with the ewes that he'd purchased, um, try to start making some production out of them. Now, he got some pretty good quality rams by the look of it, he had them inspected on purchase to make sure that everything was all good. You know, the scrotal circumference size was really good. Um, an interesting thing that I found was they actually attached rattlers to the front of the sheep to make sure that they'd hit a certain amount of ewes or hit the ewes and which one was working the most and how many hadn't been hit at that stage once they decided that was the cutoff point for them to join him. Um, so that's probably something that I guess a lot of studs in Australia would do or anyone that wanted to know if they're sheep cycling with like a teaser, not necessarily the ram. Um, so trying to work out if they're cycling or not either after ram's been in or yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that done in stud situations but never in a commercial herd. No, no, and it turned out one one sheep or one ram was working a lot harder. Yeah, than it did twice other. as many. Yeah. 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 So. yeah. I think that's the one that's a bit of a spoiler dies in a later episode. Oh, I don't have to watch it now. <laughs> well, I mean, they're sheep. You should have guessed. Should have guessed, yeah. So I guess it comes down to now the business decisions. Um, he's faced with the hard fact that he's spent over $11,000 on the sheep plus animal husbandry expenses plus fencing plus water. He's not really sure how he's going to get out of it when the agronomist comes and says, you're only going to get $7,000 for these lambs. Which is less than he was paying the shepherd. Yes. So to he's come also, and check yeah, them each day. Got, yeah, also got the management side of it on top. Which, um, yeah, it's a good thing he's got a few other bit of off-farm income. Yeah. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire and um, and Amazon. Uh, both, I guess, the TV show and the Grand Tour. Because, yeah. Yes. It's, it's probably running in the red, that operation. Certainly, certainly. And when it comes to actually trying to make some money out of it, you know, getting rid of your culls, which is a normal part of any animal production enterprise, he had a lot of emotion about selling it, which I guess... Which is, is normal, particularly normal. if you're hand-feeding them yes. every day like he was. They're in with the horse paddock. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and so he's hand-feeding them. You, you'd, you'd get that attachment. That's, that's one bit about livestock that I do quite enjoy compared to farming is you do have that little bit of emotional attachment you work out all these plans you do the hard yards to get them to the point you do have a lot of disappointment when something doesn't pay off whether it's they don't get in lamb or calf or you know you do have culls or if, they die in or they die while yeah. or lambing and there, there is a there is a lot of tugging on the heartstrings at that point yeah yeah and i mean talking labor um yeah the the lambing episode Wow, the, the capital that, that goes into that plus the labour, um, you'd have to be running that mob for 100 years to start paying itself back. It's Yes, yeah. So comparing this against a commercial operation in the UK, not really sure where it sits at the moment. No, neither, but they, I think the average herd size for cattle at least mm. is, is about 30 head in the UK. Which oh, well, That makes me above average. That's, that's good. Yeah, well, it, it leaves me at average. Yeah. But that's... It's not my main thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've just got rocks that you can't plough up. Um, but, you know, labour-wise, 
cows in a paddock here, you, you check them a couple of times a week and they look all right, they're going all right, you just keep moving. It's, um, whereas it certainly seems like there's a lot more effort in this than there is uh, in our part of the world. Yeah, certainly. Like our part of the world with sheep, I think our biggest issue in the last few years has been fly. Yeah. Um, especially with the way this wet's been. Um, it's been a very large management issue, not only with a few of the products becoming um, resistant to local fly populations, but just the actual longevity of it in the wool with the amount of rain that we've been receiving, especially over summer in those humid conditions. Yeah, I'd, sort of, I'd assume the UK gets flies. I don't know, I've never been. I've never been either, and I haven't looked into it. So. Yeah. No, but um, they did mention that worms were a large issue, but the paddock size over there lended itself to... He was doing rotational grazing without yeah. intentionally doing rotational grazing. So I'd say, given that that pasture hadn't actually been grazed beforehand, his worm issues wouldn't be too large at the moment. I Down the track, they probably would be. And, and they did mention that that is part of what they're doing. They'll, they'll drench them yeah. and then move them on those couple of days later type thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, to try and keep that worm burden at a minimum. Yes. No, next stage to keep that worm burden at the minimum is yeah, incorporate it into the cropping system. Do some stubble grazing and have some real clean country for lambing. Ah. <laughs> It'd be all right over there. They're cultivating everything. So well, the they are. And, of it's not yeah, it w- wouldn't be an issue. No. And honestly, that um, from episode one, mm. that canola... Uh, yeah, the, the volunteers the deer, that were coming through. Would have cleaned it up nicely. Yeah, it's pretty much an established crop. Though. Yeah, then go back in with the cultivator. You, you're laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Jeremy, if you're listening and want to hire us as consultants, uh, we will charge less than seventy eight hundred pounds or whatever it was. Yeah. No, I but, don't but know that, much about British farming, but can give you some principles on the others. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yes, but comparing it to our system, once again, high rainfall, completely different set of circumstances of why they were actually going to the sheep to start with. Yeah. Yeah, like it, a lot of it was pretty arable country that you could do a lot with that they were grazing. Yeah, and I don't know how things are changing now because I mean I've got no idea how the how the subsidy system works there now, but they are changing from direct subsidies to more environmental credits, which I don't know. Well, whether they yeah, were leaving country out of production to keep the grain price high or whether it was for environmental reasons, carbon and that sort of thing, or whether they'll leave in country out to keep grain price high and saying it was to keep carbon in the soil. Yeah. Um, Whichever group you're talking to, you spin a different story. Um, Yeah, so it is is different, whereas here it's... I mean, I've had the similar experience with my pigs, really. Just been yeah. an expensive pain in the rear trying to use some country that wasn't being utilised. You might have to explain your exact theory on your pigs to start with. Uh, right. So, yeah, for the background knowledge, you would have seen them on my Instagram if you've looked at it. Basically, I've got a mate that's into free-range pig farming and is doing quite well out of it. And I thought, well, I'll have a crack at that. I've got this red ridge in the middle of my farm that's... Like, it's not being used. It's it's not... It's got no value at the moment. Why don't I fence that off and run pigs there? And it's just been an expensive nightmare. Um, they're sort of like... I don't know. The the boar and the sows are like 
200 odd kilo toddlers they just walk around looking at things playing with things and then inevitably breaking things um and the whole market side of it for my end has collapsed uh we we did have a local licensed abattoir well, what was going to be a licensed abattoir in operation that never entered operation uh the next nearest one is a five hour drive away and then even if i take the pigs down to there the butcher that i had lined up to sell them locally uh we can't get a refrigerated truck back here and uh i don't have the resources of jeremy clarkson to go out and buy a refrigerated truck or the interest in doing that trip a couple of times a month so um yeah i've got a whole heap of pigs for sale if anyone wants one yeah probably highlights the importance of the amount of planning that goes into not only farming but livestock production in general you're looking at these decisions at least 12 months two years in advance of where's this product actually going to end up is it going to have a market are we actually going to be able to service this product the whole way through and make something out of it because it's a big commitment especially with livestock you can't just plow it in and forget about it no no that's it or uh we'll put the cattle on it yeah yeah that's um yeah, you've, you've really got to have your market set up and, uh, yeah, hope nothing falls over in the middle, um, which it did. And it's actually with, like, advertising restrictions on Facebook. You can't sell them on Facebook. You've got to sell them on Gumtree, and because of Facebook, no one uses Gumtree anymore. So it's even selling them out of the paddock is very hard. Mm. Yeah, going to pet pigs, I guess, you could do that. Does anyone want a 300 kilo pet pig? You just sell the sows and suckers off it. I guess you've got a horse in your backyard, so... Yeah, I do at the moment. Currently without a vehicle, so the horse is main mode of transport. <laughs> so... Uh, yes. She's got more banter than an Ag Watchers podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. No. Well, hopefully we can get as famous as them. Yeah. That, they, they do a good job with their podcast. But, I don't know about us. But they do do a really good job. Yeah, I thought I'd be somewhat relatively prepared and try to take notes on the episode. We went through most of the notes, but yeah, the rest yeah. of it's just been all spinning. Yeah, well, look, I, I don't take notes for previously stated reasons. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I think we're going to keep doing this and um, keep them coming out and might even do a review of season two when it comes out. Yeah, no, it's been good. It's been good actually seeing a different production system and being able to talk about it and the little different things that we're both picking up between it. Like, I'm pretty heavily agronomically focused, whereas you're more on the machinery side. You're really picking up that side of it. And it's it's interesting to have a look at how both both sides of the world work, like Northern Hemisphere versus us. And yeah, there's certainly limitations on both sides. So it's, yeah. it's very interesting to delve those out and see where things could be improved quickly. Yeah, and the difference between... a a system that is driven by production and return, whereas a system that's almost more driven by governance and then has to try and work production and a return into that. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. Certainly. Anyway, until next time, keep at it.